If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. You know, it's funny. Uh, when I invited Elliot Gordon to come on this program a couple of months ago for the first time, I thought it would be something um, that people who remembered entertainers of an era that has gone by would really enjoy. I thought they would uh, enjoy looking back through the prism of nostalgia at uh, at times that they experienced. And sure enough, that occurred. But what I did not anticipate, and which has occurred the last uh, several times that, uh, that Elliot Gordon has been on the program, is that a lot of younger listeners who had no recollection, either because they were too young at the time or weren't even born at the time, had no recollection of the events that we're talking about, they turn out to even be more interested in a lot of the uh, stories that Elliot Gordon has been sharing. Now, if you're a new listener or have happened not to hear Elliot Gordon before, you are in for a treat. Elliot Gordon is uh, a wonderful guy, a guy very entertaining, a guy who has incredible energy. He's an entrepreneur, a former aide to Mayor Giuliani, a producer, a talent agent, a host and a guy who has a gift for storytelling and has experienced the kind of life that uh, you'd think he'd have to be 500 years old to experience. Very pleased to welcome back uh, to the airwaves, Elliot Gordon. Elliot, it's great to see you. Frank, thank you. I want you to introduce me everywhere. When I go to people's <laughs> house for dinner, when I show up for lunch, I want you to be there to do that. That's fantastic. Well, for the right <laughs> fee, I will do that. I'll follow you around and introduce you wherever you go. <laughs> that sounds great. And, you know, Frank, you're absolutely right. Younger people I'm finding in my audience when I do these presentations. I did one about a week ago at a theater out in uh, a community in Brooklyn, and there was a girl 17 years old helping out and volunteering, and she stayed for the whole hour presentation. And I said, I walked over to her. I said, gee, you don't know who these people are. She says, those guys were great. I said, well, they were the Mills brothers. She <laughs> said, I love their singing. And she said, who is that? Handsome guy who was so funny. I said, that's Dean Martin. How can you not know (laughs) Dean Martin? But she loved it. And the idea is I'm becoming like a bridge between old show business and a young generation. I love it. I think it's great. And uh, I I think that's it's a great way of keeping a lot of these entertainers that we are, are talking about alive. Um, we we have a number of new stations since the last time you've been on. We're heard on WFDL in Detroit, a lot of Detroit area listeners. Explain to folks briefly, if you can, Elliot, 
what it is that you do in your current incarnation, the the stage show that you do now. Absolutely. Well, Frank, as a young man, maybe when I was 20, 21 years old, I became a talent agent. I worked with a gentleman, an apprentice, a man named Sid Bernstein, who was the great concert promoter of the 60s. He brought in the Beatles. He presented them at Shea, the Rolling Stones, at Dave Clark Five. And I really worked with Sid as an apprentice. And then I met some guy through Sid. I think they called him Jackie Mason. And you know him. <laughs> And uh, Jack and I were friends for over 20 years, and he connected me with his manager to teach me uh, deals and contracts. So I found I was representing, not exclusively, guys like Alan King and Robert Klein and Freddie Roman and Catskills on Broadway and even former heavyweight champion Joe Frazier for mm. autograph shows and Carol Channing and one after another, our buddy Tom Dreesen. And what I found, not only I was getting the commissions, which were nice— but the idea is I was the experience of sharing conversations with them in the back of a cab or at lunch or at dinner, hearing what they went through to become stars, to become entertainers. That was the intrinsic value. So now, gee, about eight years ago, I called Jackie Mason. I called our buddy Pat Cooper and Tom Dries, and I said, guys, I got your stories. Can I, you think I should put it into a presentation? They all said the same thing. Do it try it and see where it goes. And it took off immediately. So I, I share my conversations, personal anecdotes with all of these guys. And then I show video clips of their greatest performances. And I am creating laughter in the audience. Second to none. People now, I, was, I did a presentation today at a theater in Jericho, Long Island. They, I'm gonna, they're going to bring me back in October. One of the ladies says, when in October, I'm going to change my doctor's appointment so I can be wow. there for your presentation. I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm I said not I'm surprised. on the right track. Hey, uh, by the way, if people want to see one of your presentations, sure. uh, is there a, a way that people could track you down? Sure. And- well, I'm going to do one in the city. I do, uh, I'm do. i doing so many theaters for uh, communities, and uh, I got one in the city at the Safra Community Center on Lexington Avenue and 81st Street, November 6th. And uh, if you want to call me, call me directly. Take down my number, 646-675-1884. My website is under construction because I'm working all the time. Yeah, don't call him now this hour. <laughs> Wait till he's off the air and so his phone doesn't ring while we're, while we're here. Hey, you mentioned uh, Joe Frazier. Yeah. Joe Frazier's name actually popped up in this week's episode of Billions. Do you watch Billions? I have not seen it's it, but it's a great show. Great. Matt yeah. Blaze and I watch it. It's, uh, it's, it's very, it's the final season. I'm really enjoying the season. And one of the stories they tell in this, I'm wondering if you can confirm if this is just kind of folklore, if it actually happened, is that when Joe Frazier encountered his old rival Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali was having a tough time financially that Joe Frazier gave him a wad of cash I think a thousand dollars true story or not? yeah that is a true story now that was uh, uh, I think before their first fight Joe had told me he he liked Ali that he really admired him as an entertainer but he when Joe had the championship that kind of like was a monkey on his back because people would say, you're not the real champion, you never beat Muhammad Ali because Ali lost his title because he didn't fight in the Vietnam War. It was taken away by the government. Joe wound up winning through an elimination round. Joe said, I always wanted to fight him because to get that shadow away from me, we did meet, he was having a tough time, I lent him some bread, and um, uh, they met in Philadelphia at something. Joe lived in Philly. And Ali was going to New York. Joe was going to New York. So they say, hey, let's go together. 
And in the car, Ali said, hey, give me a shot at the championship. And Joe said, you got it. At the time, Joe was the heavyweight champion of the world. And he said, I wanted to fight him. He said, by the time we got to Times Square and got out of the car to park the car, Ali just starts screaming at the crowd. He's got my title. I'm going to give him a whooping. He said, I thought we were going to have the fight in Times Square. He said, I get upset. Uh, and then that led to the championship. That's very funny. Hey, the last time you were here, we spent a lot of time talking about the Beatles because it was right after the anniversary of their historic Shea Stadium concert. You had some great insight into what happened then. Well, recently, it was just the just a few weeks ago, the 60th anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s March on Washington. Now, when you think of Martin Luther King Jr., and when you think of that, Martin, uh, that March on Washington, you think of civil rights, you think of the civil rights bill, you think of, um, you know, things related to um, minorities in the country at the time. You think about all the people that attended. You don't necessarily think about entertainers or entertainment, but there were entertainers that played a pretty big role in that march, weren't there? Absolutely. I've got a buddy of mine. He lives on the west side of Manhattan. He's in his mid 80s now, still works. His name is Peter Yarrow. And he was the founder of Peter, Paul, and Mary. And Peter told me uh, when we would talk, I said, Peter, what are your great memories of the early 1960s? You guys had a lot of hit records. He said, "L, I never set out to be a record star. I was always a political activist. And somebody told me, if you get a guitar, you play some songs, more people will come to hear the songs. You can get out your message. He said, I was in favor of civil rights. And I wanted to protest the Vietnam War. That's what it was all about. I met Paul, and we felt we needed a girl up there. And somebody recommended at one of the village coffee shops, there's a good-looking blonde who could sing like Forget About It, which was Mary. He said, we came together. We had hit records before we knew it. And we just started becoming millionaires. And he said, but civil rights was my thing. And then all of a sudden, in 1963... The phone rings, and he said, I can't believe who's calling me. I said, Peter, who was it? He said, it was Martin Luther King calling me. And he said, Peter, I'm bringing 200,000 people to Washington. We can't talk about politics all the time. We need a little entertainment. Could you and Paul and Mary join us and sing a few songs? He said, "L, I was honored. He said, I walked up there with him hip to hip. I was there when he made the I Have a Dream speech. I said, what song did you sing in front of a quarter of a million people? He said, we had a kid who was working for us as a songwriter, and he wrote us a great hit. I said, what was his name? He said, his name was Bob Dylan. Wow. And he wrote for us... Blowing in the wind, that was our hit, and we did in front of that wow. crowd. My, well, actually, uh, and Peter, Paul, and Mary, they've had a lot of hits. They they, they did uh, Puff the Magic Dragon, too, Puff right? Puff the Magic Dragon, <laughs> leaving on a jet plane. And a terrific, terrific lineup of hits. Here's Peter, Paul, and Mary talking about that uh, Martin Luther King 1963 March on Washington. They always wanted to, to, to sing, I think, songs which, which had real import, which were really something which would help to try and change this world and they came along at the height of that civil rights struggle and they had the ears of the whole world particularly of this country now i think this march will go down as one of the greatest if not the greatest uh, demonstrations for freedom and human dignity ever held in the united states mary speaks of the moment of recognition of the March on Washington in 1963, 
which Martin Luther King delivered his I Have a Dream speech, as her first recognition of something that has been primary in our relationship. And now, a group of singers who have come to help express and song what this great meeting is all about. I give you now Peter, Paul, and Mary. We started to sing, and I had an epiphany looking out at this quarter of a million people. And I truly believed at that moment it was possible that human beings could join together to make a positive social change. All of a sudden, the lyrics are coming out, you know? And how many years will it take before people can be free? And you're thinking, wow, this is it. This is the integration of everything that you sing and you feel strongly and the moment. There was a breakout in the thinking, a desire to say, let us think for ourselves independently. We won't be the instrument of somebody else's intent, but we will really be a different kind of people living in a different kind of society. The answer is blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. Uh, you know, that's some story. I, I had no idea they played such a pivotal role in uh, at that march in Washington, and no idea they were actually invited there by Martin Luther King Jr. himself. I mean, uh, I think it gives you an idea of uh, how much they were resonating with audiences at the time as for, that, for them, Martin Luther King to request them there. And, you know, Peter gave me one other quick story. He said Martin Luther King was his hero, but his second hero at that time was President Kennedy. He gets a call from the White House that there's a state dinner. There are going to be several entertainers. Would Peter, Paul and Mary come there and perform for the guests of the first couple, President Jackie Kennedy? And he said, definitely. He said, I love John Kennedy. He said, oh, we go up there and we've got one. We've got one number where we sit on the floor to do it, to serenade the audience. 
It was miscommunicated to President Kennedy. He thought he's supposed to sit on the floor, and he does. And then Jackie sits on the floor, and then they see the president on the floor. Everybody in the room sat on the floor, and we sang him the song. Wow. Uh, that, is, uh, that is something. <laughs> Elliot Gordon is my guest. If you have questions about any of the subjects we're talking about, you're welcome to give us a call. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Recently, we had on uh, our mutual friend uh, Tom Dreesen, again, who was Frank Sinatra's opening act for a long time. And uh, there was an incident. Uh, I know uh, Tom's on the West Coast these days, but he was performing at the theater at Hofstra University. Right. And you went with him. Yeah. What happened was about six years ago, Tommy grew up with an actor named Robert Davi. Uh, his name usually doesn't ring a bell. But if you saw his pictures, you say, hey, he was the villain in James Bond. He was the cop. He's on. been on this show, too. He's oh, I'm sorry. Guy. Then maybe great you guy. do know his yeah, name. He no, is, he, he is but a, he, no, a great voice, great singer. And also in uh, Die Hard. He was yes, in Die Hard. Yes, where he's terrific. Yes. Terrific guy. And he grew up with Tommy in Chicago. And he did a show, uh, a tribute to Sinatra about six, seven years ago. So Tommy calls me, he said, El, he said he wants me to open for him. And he says, I never do that. He said, I, I just don't like it because I open for the real Frank Sinatra. I don't open for the tribute guys. He said, but I couldn't say no to Rob because we grew up together in Chicago. He said, so I'm going to do it. And there's going to be about 2,000 people there. He said, why don't you meet us? So I said, that'd be great. So I go out there. Robert Davi was terrific. Tom Dreesen was terrific. And they announce a man in the audience. I knew the name. His name is Irvin Drake, a great songwriter. And he was about 90 years old at the time. And then afterwards, we all went for refreshments, some restaurant or some uh, uh, place for refreshments. And Mr. Drake was there. So I go over to him and I introduce myself as Tom Dreesen's agent. And he knew Tommy through Frank Sinatra. I said, Mr. Drake, uh, I think you wrote... My favorite Sinatra classic, which is called It Was a Very Good Year, and it's on the album September of My Years. He looks at me and says, you are right. That is the album. That is my song. I said, did you write it with him in mind? Because it sounds like when he was 17, when he was 21. He said, Mr. Gordon, I did not. He said, what happened was I wrote it for another singer. Nobody you would know. He released it. Frank Sinatra heard it on his car radio. He heard had his arranger, which I think was Gordon Jenkins or Nelson Riddle. I don't remember. Get in touch with me to set up a meeting. Frank Sinatra would like to talk to you about recording your song. He said, how do you turn down a meeting like that if you're a songwriter? He said, I meet with Frank Sinatra. He tells me, Mr. Drake, I know what to do to make that song a hit. He said he did it. Uh, it was number one record. That record won the Grammy as the best record of the year. And the album it was on won the Grammy as the best album of the year. I said, but Mr. Drake, it sounds like he's talking about himself. He said, Mr. Gordon, when you can take a song written for another man... <laughs> and make it your song, that's why he's Frank Sinatra. Uh, that's for sure. I've heard the, uh, and I'm the world's biggest William Shatner fan, but I've heard the William Shatner rendition of It Was a Very Good Year. It doesn't have the same resonance that uh, that the Sinatra version of it does. You know, the one, I've talked about this song with uh, Alan Dershowitz several times, and Alan Dershowitz still going very strong at 85 years old, and he says that his one beef with that song is, you know, Sinatra's describing 
celebrating being 35 as if it's old age, <laughs> as if it's the end of his days. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's a legitimate beef. I, I think uh, people, you know, I think people have a, a really uh, a robust life long after they're 35. Why did he why did he wind down people's lives in that song at 35? That's a good question. And some there's somebody else once told me, they say he talks about his life, but all he talks about are the girls. Did he do anything <laughs> else in that song? <laughs> If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hey, uh, we're going to take your questions for Elliot Gordon in just a minute. 800-848-9222. Before we go to break, though, we will let you hear a little bit of uh, Frank Sinatra singing. It was a very good year. Now that you know the story behind the song. If uh, any popping of peas, let's stop. Because there were too many of the peas popping in the, 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 the past dates we did. Can you clear those up a little bit? Yeah, they don't thump. They're a real thump, I can't. Well, I don't thump, you know. I just, I'm a sneaky pee popper. <laughs> I'll stop you. All right. Shall we try one? Yeah. Can we make one? I think I'm much more a singer than I am a crooner. In the days of uh, Russ Colombo and, and uh, Rudy Valley, I think that they were rightly termed crooners because they had very small, soft voices. They were very good at it, but when uh, Bing came along he was more of a singer and uh i think through the years most of us have begun to execute more singing than we did crooning rather than being nasal or making cow-like sounds of moves and, and that those utterances you know when i was 17 it was a very good year it was a very good year for small-town girls and soft summer nights. We'd hide from the lights on the village green. When I was seventeen, I was 21 It was a very good year It was a very good year For city girls Who lived up the stair With all that perfumed hair And it came undone When I was 21 The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's 
other side of midnight with Frank Morano. Midnight, half past the hour. I'm Frank Morano, joined in studio by my friend Elliot Gordon. Elliot Gordon is a, a storyteller, an entrepreneur, former aide to Mayor Giuliani, a producer, talent agent, and host par excellence. Elliot, uh, you know, when we talk about uh, comedy, we talk about entertainment in general, I think you really can't write the story of comedy in the 20th century without develop, without devoting several great chapters to Norman Lear. So many great shows uh, that, uh, that that he created, Maud, uh, The Jeffersons, but uh, obviously I think the one that takes the cake is uh, All in the Family. You were talking about uh, Jackie Mason earlier. I don't remember any episodes of uh, All in the Family with Jackie Mason. How in the world is Jackie Mason connected to All in the Family? Well, no, not with Jackie Mason. What happened was at that time I was getting together with Jack four or five nights a week. We'd meet seven or eight o'clock at a coffee shop. And he calls me, said, I'm going to meet you a little bit later because I want you to meet a friend of mine who wants to write a book with me. His name is Bill Dana. And many of the older folks may remember Bill Dana for creating a character called Jose Jimenez, which was that that doorman that got dumped on by everybody, and it was very hot in the late 50s and early 60s. Uh, And um, uh, so Bill was there. So I go down, I meet Bill, and uh, I actually represented him for one date. I packaged him with Robert Klein and Pat Cooper for Kravis Center in Florida. And that one night they drew about 2,000 people. Oh, I bet. Pretty good show. I can imagine. And Bill was telling me, I didn't realize his history. He said, I I was the head writer of the first Tonight Show, before Leno, before Johnny, before Jack Parr, it was Steve Allen, Steve Arino. He was the guy in 1954, Tonight Show number one, and Bill was the head writer, and he hired Norman Lear to work You're for kidding. him. you I didn't Absolutely. realize that. So Norman Lear wrote for the Tonight Show with Steve Allen? That is correct. Wow. And he worked for Bill, and he said, "El, but when the uh, changing of the guard, when Carson came in, They pushed out Steve's writers, understandably so. They brought in their own team, and he said he was out of work. And uh, he he was kind of getting a couple of things together for a while. But then in 1970, when Norman Lear wrote All in the Family, it was the biggest show in America, he said, I called him. I said, Norman, you worked for me. I'd like to sell you a script. And Norman told him, Bill, I write all the scripts myself. Every word of every script came from Norman Lear's pen. He's a writer. That's what he did. But he told him, he said, you know, if you can come up with a way to get Sammy Davis in an Archie's living room, 
I'll look at that script. And Bill did, and that script won an Emmy, and it was listed as one of the 50th funniest episodes in sitcom history. So I told Billy, I said, Billy, you got one chance. You hit a home run. The cream rises to the top. Uh, so I want to ask you about how he was able to procure Sammy Davis for that episode of, uh, of All in the Family. But for people that don't remember that episode of All in the Family, here's a little bit of uh, Archie interacting with legend entertainer Sammy Davis Jr. Mr. Bunker? Sammy Davis! Sammy Davis! There he is! I told you he was coming! There he is right out there on the stoop! Come on in, Mr. Davis! Come oh, on! Davis, it's an honor! Oh, oh. Oh. <laughs> Welcome to our house! Oh, I'm so excited, but then you can't imagine because you never had to meet yourself! <laughs> Davis, sir. It's my wife, Edith, laughing over there. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Mr. Davis, sir, my daughter, Gloria, standing over oh, there. Hello, Gloria. How are you? And her husband, Mike. Hello, Mike. No! <laughs> this here is... Uh, this is only Lyman. He lives next door. My daughter's married to the white guy over here. There's Munson with the briefcase now there, Sammy. I'll let him right in. Oh, hi, Arch. Munson, we're white for you. We're white. I'm sorry I took so long, Arch, but I bumped into Bonnie Hefner with his camera, so naturally I had to go back oh. and get mine. Mr. Davis, this is an unexpected pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Can I get a picture, oh, Mr. No, no, Davis? Come on, Munson, no pictures. Oh, no, this one is for me. Mr. Munson, when you stand over there, I want one picture taken with Archie Bunker, my friend, and me. You want me? Oh, yes. Now, on three, okay? One, two, three. <laughs> He said it was in his contract. <laughs> so, uh, Elliot, how in the world did Bill Dana persuade Sammy Davis Jr. to get on to do that episode of All in the Family? Well, Frank, I don't know how Bill did it. Maybe Norman did it, but I do want to mention something else that Bill told me that's very, very interesting. A minute ago, we were talking about President Kennedy. Uh, he told me that 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 uh, Jose Jimenez character got so hot as the uh, doorman that everybody dumped on, that he gave him a change of career and he made Jose an astronaut because the space race <laughs> got so hot in 1960. And he said it was so popular that when they did the inaugural party for um, John Kennedy, Frank Sinatra was the producer. He brought in every star in the world. Bill said he called me if Jose could be down there as the astronaut to welcome President Kennedy. I said, well, what happened? He said, well, before the show, the president comes backstage, all the entertainers line up. They all shake the president's hand, get a, get a picture. But when President Kennedy came to me because I'm an astronaut, he saluted me. So I said, <laughs> I said Bill, that's great. That is great. Uh, speaking of uh, Jackie Mason, 
There was another interaction that involved Jackie Mason and Robert Klein, right? You mentioned booking Robert Klein with uh, with Pat Cooper and and uh, Jose Jimenez. By the way, on the um, on the before we talk about this uh, Jackie Mason incident with that uh, Bill Dana and uh, Steve Allen incarnation of The Tonight Show. Do you know why Steve Allen didn't continue with The Tonight Show? I mean, the show was popular. He was popular. He, he certainly could have continued with it. It seemed like it was working well. Why did he step away from that and allow Jack Parr to take the reins? Do you have any idea? You know, I don't know, but Bill told me that was chock full of talent, and people didn't realize how inventive uh, Steve Allen was. By the way, he was also a songwriter and a composer, uh, and uh, he was doing remotes before anybody was doing remotes from his house. So uh, I, d- I don't know the reason for that. But uh, a lot of prolific people, author as well, prolific author yeah. as well. But a lot of people don't realize that the regulars on that show were two young singers, a duet. I don't think they were married yet called Steve Lawrence and Edie Gourmet. Mm. They were on the show almost every night. So it was really a load of talent condensed into that one program. Uh, I don't know why Steve Allen didn't continue. You know, Frank, sometimes guys get tired. You know, a buddy of mine was a man named Kevin Dobson. He was on the uh, Kojak show as Lieutenant Crocker. Uh, And he told me, he said, oh, we weren't canceled, but after five years, Telly Savalas said he just doesn't want to do it anymore. Mm. So uh, that could happen too. I, I guess. I guess so. I mean, I guess that happened with Seinfeld to some extent. Yeah. Uh, but I was asking about uh, Jackie Mason and Robert Klein. What's the story involving Robert Klein? Sure. Uh, I had got an opportunity to represent Robert at what's called the middle agent. In other words, he was signed to the William Morris office. But I was friendly with his manager, Rory Rose Garden, who today still handles Ray Romano and a lot of big stars. And I said, you know, I'd like to package him with Pat Cooper. I think that's a good deal. I need your permission to do it. He said, I'll do it. And that's what's called being a middle agent. Uh, And I got him a few dates. And Jackie had told me, we were talking one time. He said, El, a lot of comedians don't continue to write. Once they get a hot 45 minutes or 50 minutes, they use it for 20 years. They don't change one Mm. line, one joke. Jack did a lot. But uh, he said there are two guys that write constantly, both friends of his. One, George Carlin, who is a prolific writer. He writes all the time. And he said, Robert Klein, people don't realize that he starred in and wrote 25 HBO specials. I read so, his book, too. Yeah. It's a terrific book yeah. about, you know, a memoir, but growing up largely in, in the Catskills and spending summers up there. Really, you could tell he's a great writer. Terrific. And so uh, when I was representing him uh, or getting him dates um, with Pat or without Pat, uh, he would do a song and uh, he would sing a song about growing older. And I got so many requests from people. They would email me, where do we get Robert's song? He's, uh, he's just a naturally talented, very nice man. This is something nobody ever hears. This is a, a real treat. We're a little bit of Robert Klein singing.
brilliant Robert Klein. The, the <laughs> lyrics and the delivery of Five Star. I don't see much from Robert Klein these days. Is he still active? Is he still performing? No, he's retired. Oh, he's Robert totally retired, retired recently. Yes. Yeah, very, do you, very funny. Do you guys man. keep in touch? Uh, uh, no, I keep in touch with his manager, Rory, but I haven't spoken to Robert in a long time. Yeah, no, I was uh, a big fan. I used to also hear him on Alan Combs' show once in a while back in the day, and uh, even had a couple of his records. Uh, and, you know, really he, a tremendous yeah, performer. His mentor, people don't know, was Rodney Dangerfield. Is that right? That's I didn't right, know that. Yeah. I'm I, 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 not surprised, given their styles, but uh, I did not know that. Elliot Gordon is here. We're going to take your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. I think you want to share a uh, – if you have a question about any of the folks we're talking about, Pat Cooper, Robert Klein, Jackie Mason, Peter, Paul, and Mary, etc. This is The Other Side of Midnight, straight ahead. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Midnight. Uh, coming up in about 20 minutes, I will bring you this week's denunciations. And it is hard for many of us to believe, but it is the 20th anniversary of the film Anchorman. I'm going to be joined by Saul Austerlitz, who's a, a professor at NYU who's written a book called Kind of a Big Deal, How Anchorman Stayed Classy and Became the Most Iconic Comedy of the 21st Century. Looking forward to that conversation very much. But my guest this hour is Elliot Gordon, entrepreneur, former aide to Mayor Giuliani, a producer and a talent agent. Did you see Anchorman, Elliot? No, I did not. You see, I mean, it's 20 years old. You better catch up here. <laughs> you better catch up. Do you keep up with modern uh, pop culture at all and entertainment? You know, honestly, Honestly, really, I don't. Uh, I mean, when I go into comedy clubs, uh, Frank, I'm not comfortable with uh, uh, what I'm listening to there. Uh, when I spoke to our friend Shecky Green, who just turned 97, I spoke wow. to about two years ago, uh, and I asked Shecky at the time, I said, Sheck, uh, do, uh, had you gone to comedy clubs within the last 20 years? He said, I don't like what people are laughing at. And you couldn't call Shecky Green a prude. He was a star on the Vegas Strip sure. in the 70s. But he, he just felt he was not comfortable with the lack of what he felt creativity and just the constantly harping on that same topic. He says there's comedy in everything if you're a real good comedian. 
Uh, and uh, Sheck, I said, Sheck, I think you were the first comedian to ever get a hundred grand a week in Las Vegas. Wow, my goodness. And he said, absolutely. He said, I got six weeks a year at the Riviera in 1977. I don't know if the Riviera is still there. Uh, and he said, I was getting a hundred grand um, a week for each one of those six weeks. I said, but that, that place only had 500 seats. I know that theater. How could they make the money back a hundred grand? He said, oh, well, it's all about gambling. The idea was that he was the favorite of the guys with the big money, the big real estate guys, the, the guys with all the retail stores. He said they loved him. They found him to be like a real swinging hip kind of show to go to at one in the morning. And the guys in the, who owned the hotel, you just get the guys with money in their pocket into this <laughs> building and we'll get them in a casino with, 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 with who knows, with girls or with scotch or whatever. Get them in this building, he said, because one of those guys, we could take 50 grand back from one of those guys at a dice table. And he so said, it's a loss leader to some extent. Absolutely. You know, and, he, and, you know, he said, that's how I made my money in Vegas. And he said he's the one who introduced Don Rickles to the bosses at the Riviera. And that's when Don got it, his day. That is terrific. Uh, listener from California, Miss M, writes in, ask Elliot if he knew Coralie Bernstein, please, and or please give his number again. Did you know Coralie Bernstein? No, no. I knew Sid Bernstein, but not Coralie. I don't know who that is. Gotcha. I'm assuming it's some relation. Um, you want to give your number again? In case sure. You get in touch with you. Six four six six seven five one eight eight four six four six six seven five one eight eight four. I'm performing constantly, and I'm still available as well. Call me, and uh, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, Lars is in Los Angeles. Hello, Lars. Hi there. I'm loving the show. I love old showbiz stories. Um, <clears throat> that all in the family tape you played. The neighbor Munson, I don't know if you guys are aware, but do you remember the Bowery Boys? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, Munson was one of the Bowery Boys. His name was Billy Halep. His sister was Florence Halep, who played the first bailiff on Night Court. Really? Wow. I remember. I remember the first bailiff on Night Court. That's wild. I, uh, I had yeah. no idea. That's interesting. Second question, though. Um, do you have any stories or recollections regarding Jackie Vernon, the comedian? I used to love him as a kid. I agree with you. I thought he was brilliant. And, you know, Pat Cooper always said that he was one of the few Italian comedians. I said, Pat, what about Jackie Vernon? He was great. He said, yeah, but Jackie Vernon didn't talk about being Italian. Pat talked about it all the time. But I agree with you. I love that Midwestern delivery. Uh, there was something about him. I guess you could say he was kind of like Rodney Dangerfield, the lovable loser who made fun of himself. Exactly. <laughs> I, I agree with you 100 percent. I never did any work with him, but I think he's brilliant. Thank you, Lars. Appreciate it. 800-848-9222. Something I learned from you, and I'm ashamed that I didn't know this because I've had so many Jewish friends over the years and I have some Jewish family members. But uh, at the top of the hour, you were telling me that Yom Kippur, which is coming up, I knew you had to fast. I did not know you're not even allowed to have water. That's it. The real deal, Frank. That is something. Zero. Oh, yeah. That's that's a big one. Uh, uh, No water. That's a a big difference. That's right. With the parting of the sea, there was plenty of water. But as far as drinking, no drinking water. I have a whole new appreciation for all of my Jewish (laughs) friends and our all Jewish listeners. Uh, Good luck with that forthcoming fast, by the way. 800-848-9222. See, people are calling. I told you, don't call until after Elliot's off the program give us 10 minutes roberta is on in on staten island hello roberta 
I'm enjoying your show. It's very nostalgic. Uh, I've been to a lot. Of, uh, I used to see Jackie Mason in the neighborhood. I used to work right around where he lived. And I, I saw him once in the Dangerfield, so he was really good. Um, also, I, I just, I just I, I'm not happy with these comedy shows that have canned laughter because Curb Your Enthusiasm doesn't have it. And uh, Mary Hartman and Mary Hartman never had it. So, so why do all these shows have all this canned laughter? Yeah, I don't know um, <laughs> if a lot of shows still do have a, a laugh track. But the laughter, for instance, that we're hearing on uh, All in the Family, that wasn't a laugh track, right? I mean, that was a live studio audience. Yeah, as far recorded. as I know, that was a live studio audience, and that was real laughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, uh, gee, if there was anyone who uh, uh, could get real laughter, it's Norman Lear. Yeah, that's uh, that's for sure. Going strong at 100. I just saw the CBS Sunday morning uh, profile on him. Uh, really, uh, it, it's amazing how sharp the guy is at 100. Very impressive. Frank, last week I saw Dick Van Dyke on TV's 97 and learning how to play the ukulele. That is, uh, it is a sight to behold. That's great. Elliot Gordon's here, 800-848-9222. One of the things that, um, you know, going back into this era, talking about the 50s, the 60s, you know, people's uh, tastes change to some extent and technology changes to some extent. And one of the things that I wonder quite a bit about, obviously, because I'm a, a fan of of the medium of radio, but I also work in it, is what does the future hold for radio as an entertainment medium? As somebody that spent some time on the radio and is a big student of entertainment, where do you see radio's place in the future? You know, it's interesting. Recently I had a, a conversation with uh, a fellow who's from a major radio station, been in radio his uh, whole life, and he's talking about how they're losing pieces of their audience to this podcast and to that podcast. I said, well, it's a transition. You know, it's a radio. The major stations are always going to be there. I don't know about the smaller stations, but the big guys, they'll always have their market. Uh, There's going to be a transformation. They're also going to be doing the podcast and the streaming. Uh, But, you know, it's like that uh, broadsheet newspaper. The Mm. New York Times is still there. The smaller guys, they fell by the wayside. But there's always room for a couple, couple of good ones. And my opinion is... Uh, old-fashioned radio like this will always exist, maybe in a lesser form, but I think it's always going to be there. One of the things that I thought the last three times that you've been on this program is, you know, it's just what an incredible life you've led, all these folks that you've known and these stories that really only you have. And obviously you you seem young and and healthy, but if you're hit by a bus on the way home or something, a lot of these stories, you know, die with you. You ever think about maybe recording them in a book or something along those lines? Yes, Frank. A lot of people had mentioned that to me. Thank you. Uh, And I think I will. Uh, You know, it's interesting. Like Pat Cooper told me, he said, Elle, as a kid, you were there with us. You witnessed a very special era of variety artists. Never again is that the same time are there going to be Sinatra and Sammy and Rickles and Jackie Mason and him. He said that was just a golden time. And he said, you just happened to witness it because as a kid, you were doing some work with us. Yeah, no, it, I really think you should do that. I would prioritize that. Thank you, Frank. 800-848-9222. Robert's in Pearl River. Robert, you're on with uh, Elliot Gordon. Yeah, two of my favorite comedians was a controversial Andy Kaufman, and he did the Old McDonald bit. was funny. Old McDonald had a, farm, had a farm. And the other one was Art Matrano. He was the cheap magician that would sing his own music. He was too cheap. He would have, that's what was his bit. He would do the magic tricks, 
but he would sing to it like he would just like da 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 you, you know, you're uh, right. As far as Andy Kaufman, uh, it's interesting. Rodney Dangerfield got a few TV specials, and on one of them, they approached Pat Cooper about playing the character Dr. Vinnie Boombots, who would have been perfect <laughs> for it. But Pat said, he said, yeah. if I play it, that's my character. I want the rights to that character. And they wound up making a deal, and Andy Kaufman played it in that uh, in that comedy special. That's very funny. And uh, what about Art Matrano? Did that register with you at all, Art uh, Matrano? I'm uh, not familiar with him. I'm not familiar say. with Art Matrano. Yeah, well, thanks for the education there, Robert. I'm going to have to look into that one. Johnny Carson, he was on a Johnny, very funny guy. He's in a couple of movies. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that out. You know, one of the things that's nice about the era that we're living in, I mean, so often talking about a lot of these entertainers, uh, people get kind of down because they feel that level of entertainment isn't there anymore. One of the things that's kind of nice about the Internet and about the fact that there's uh, me TV and then there's a, 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 a an antenna TV channel is that you can still enjoy, both on the Internet and on television, a lot of this kind of classic entertainment when really, really, if this was 20 years ago and somebody had called in to talk about, you know, uh, any of these old entertainers, you, you couldn't really do anything. Maybe you could go to a library and rent a record or something. You know, Frank, you're 100% right. And uh, the availability of these great performances are out there. And I think what happens is a lot of the younger folks, um, uh, they really don't know anything about Milton Berle or those people. And when I do go into comedy clubs and I see the young ladies getting up and doing the type of material they do. And I would pull them to the side and I say, gee, you know, why do you go down that road? And they say, well, we want to be an Amy Schumer. We want to be a Sarah Silverman. We want to make all that money. I said, why don't you be a Lucy? Why don't you be a Mary Tyler Moore? They made millions and millions of dollars. Watch what they did. And uh, I, I, to me, uh, uh, you know, I, I just feel that um, they, they, they were the gold standard of comedy, those comics, one funnier than the other, Burl and Youngman and Red Fox and Flip Wilson. I watched them for a few minutes, and I can't stop laughing. You know, we're both uh, friendly with Curtis Lewa, and both sure. of us knew Jackie Mason, you obviously much better than me. One thing that both of those fellows had in common is their uh, public persona is much different than they are in private. Uh, they're both of them kind of quiet in private, not exactly boisterous and loud. Right. In the case of Pat Cooper, uh, in my experience with him, exactly the same uh, off air as he was on air, on stage as he was in a diner. In your experience, for all the folks that you've worked with, who do you think had the starkest contrast between their onstage persona and how they were off stage? Well, I thoroughly agree with you. Uh, you know, both Curtis and Jackie, I found to be, uh, and people are going to be surprised, uh, quiet and very intellectual. Both of them mm -hmm. very deep thinkers, extremely intelligent, and in many cases, both self-taught. And uh, uh, when I'd be with Jackie, he'd be quiet and uh, he'd be very, very deep thinker and really, really brilliant perspectives. And the same thing with Curtis. Uh, so you're absolutely right about that. 
Uh, so I say the star contract probably there. And uh, as far as the guy, as you say, uh, all the time, Pat Cooper and Henny Youngman also. Really? Just comedian all the time. Didn't stop telling jokes. Eddie in Fort Lee. We only have about a minute. Quick question here. Actually, we're not going to have time. So um, I'm going to. Ha- we'll have. Um, if you want to get in touch with uh, with Elliot, uh, we will have uh, Kenneth give you his number. Elliot, the hour always flies by whenever you're in town. Thank you very much. Love being here. Thank you, Frank. All right, we got denunciations coming your way. It's also the 20th anniversary of Anchorman. Is that the most iconic comedy film of the 21st century? We'll explore it. Until next hour, keep asking questions. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.